Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Insurance Uncovered. I'm Kathy Imus, and today, as our coverage of the global coronavirus pandemic continues, we're uncovering support for small business. A much-needed boost from the federal government as discussions about reopening the economy ramp up. Plus, a judicial advocacy update. The claims made against insurers as more than 50 lawsuits emerge across the country. And is the industry's reputation at stake? We talk with the Insurance Information Institute's Sean Kevelin about the importance of messaging in the midst of COVID-19. The Paycheck Protection Program received a much-needed boost after President Donald Trump signed the latest coronavirus relief legislation into law. It will provide more than $300 billion in funds for the PPP, plus additional aid for hospitals and increased COVID-19 testing. But work continues on the next phase in helping the nation recover, even as some states begin to reopen their economies in limited fashion or announce the framework for doing so in the coming weeks. North Carolina Representative Ted Budd recently pushed back against a NAMIC-opposed pandemic mandate during a hearing in the House Small Business Committee. Before the hearing, Budd sent two letters to President Trump regarding business interruption insurance. Budd says while he feels that small businesses across the nation need help as quickly as possible, one way to work against this goal would be to try to unconstitutionally rewrite the contracts between insurers and policyholders, as seen in numerous proposals across the states and in Congress. You know, small businesses employ 48% of the American workforce. And as a small business owner myself, I know that these businesses are often tightly knit teams, working together to provide services and products in their communities. And when they're forced to make the agonizing decision to furlough or lay off workers, it feels like they're firing a member of their own family, because many times they are. What makes, all the more, make, makes this all the more tragic is that the economic variables that are forcing their hand are totally beyond their control. And the situation is simply not their fault. One coalition demanding coverage for business interruption due to the coronavirus is led by a group of celebrity chefs, including Wolfgang Puck. The Business Interruption Group, or BIG as it's called, held a webinar in which the group's attorney, John Hodling, lambasted the insurance industry for creating misleading business interruption policies. He claimed the industry is diverting attention from its estimated total lost reserves and instead toward a taxpayer-funded federal program that would pay affected restaurants and businesses. Hodling's primary argument rested on the belief that civil authority closures are covered under business interruption policies and that COVID-19 caused dangerous property conditions. NAMIC's Vice President of Public Policy and Federal Affairs, John Bergner, says the group's efforts are a gross distraction from solving real problems. Big is a page from the trial bar's playbook come to life, which essentially relies on taking advantage of a crisis situation to further line their own pockets through endless litigation. In this case, it is litigation involving coverage under existing business interruption policies that were clearly not designed to ensure against the nationwide economic shutdown due to a global viral pandemic. Unfortunately, this group of celebrity chefs quickly became the early victims of this strategy, which is more about driving up legal fees than rescuing their businesses being hit by the pandemic response. And even more unfortunately, they have provided star power to spread the trial bar's message through a coordinated PR campaign, as well as political outreach at multiple levels of government. 
This is what the industry is up against, and Namek is working night and day to counteract Big's efforts. There is no denying that Big's star power and national attention have given the group some momentum, but Namek and others in our industry will continue working to counter the misguided and misinformed arguments made by the group. Without question, COVID-19 has upended life as we know it and severely impacted all sectors of the economy. Unfortunately, this has been exacerbated by imprudent legislative proposals, executive orders, and regulatory edicts to change or alter contract law. These efforts have the makings of a perfect storm for the property casualty insurance industry. In a recent virtual event regarding judicial COVID-19-related issues, NAMIC General Counsel for Federal Tom Carroll says there are already a growing number of lawsuits targeting insurers. And the race to the, the uh, courthouse has clearly begun. So far, we have seen at least 50 separate insurance COVID-19 lawsuits against insurance companies, uh, and that number is growing on, on a daily basis. To kind of walk through what the complexity of these issues are, um, it's important to realize that these cases are being brought in both federal and state courts. Uh, and the, the actions are being brought under federal or state law and federal state standards that vary uh, widely with respect to between federal and state and among these different states. So the actions uh, in, in those cases uh, can be somewhat similar, but still have uh, significant variations to them. A recording of that virtual event dives into the claims being made by businesses, as well as how NAMIC and its members are addressing this issue on the advocacy front. This webinar is available to all NAMIC members online at NAMIC.org in the on-demand section of the events page. And don't forget, you can get the latest COVID-19-related news from NAMIC online at NAMIC.org. In the COVID-19 Resource Center, you'll find quick links to all of NAMIC's member communications on the pandemic, news updates, and media interviews with NAMIC experts. We've reported frequently on the progress being made in terms of advocacy, and the federal and state teams remain laser-focused on the bad ideas being bandied about in policy arenas across the country. But there is another area where insurers are facing a significant challenge, and that's in the court of public opinion. On today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamness talks with one leader who's no stranger to the media himself, I President and CEO Sean Kevelin. Today, he and Chuck discuss the reputational issues for the industry in the thick of the coronavirus pandemic. Our guest today on Insurance Unscripted is the Insurance Information Institute President and CEO Sean Kevelin. Since the beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak, Sean and IIII have given many presentations, many media interviews, uh, discussing the impact of the coronavirus pandemic and what impact this will have on the property casualty insurance industry. Sean, thanks for joining us today. Chuck, always uh, good to hear from you and uh, thank you for having me. Hey, well, it's uh, very timely and I think important to have you on our podcast. You know, you are really in, in, in many ways the spokesman for the industry. Uh, we work both in the public affairs, but also in the government affairs side. And of course, we've had a very busy five or six weeks now on the government affairs side. Uh, today, I think we'll focus on what you do and what you've been doing for the industry around the public affairs piece. And um, I guess I'll start with, I, I wrote a column 
this week about uh, uh, a recent CBS News uh, interview that Jimmy Brandy of our DC office did and how, uh, you know, you can put a lot of time into the interview and yet uh, it doesn't always show up in the final piece that may or may not have been kind of baked before we even got into it. In any event, that's just a, a little bit of a primer to, to start with. How are things going? Um, what, what are we working on in the, in the media relations piece today and, and are we winning? Chuck, thank you. I, I think this is a, a, a very critical time for the insurance industry, and, and you're right, the III serves as, as a trusted voice for the industry um, because we we aren't engaged in that direct government affairs work oftentimes, and we have, uh, so so we, we do try and be more objective and, and, and sticking on the facts, and um, there's, there's, there's opportunities and challenges for us. Um, and, and we're seeing both right now, and, and we're managing both at the triple I. Uh, the insurance industry is certainly stepping up uh, for America in terms of its customers, its communities, and its employees. Uh, you, you know we've recently uh, estimated that uh, a total of $10.5 billion has uh, been returned to customers' pockets uh, through premium relief. Uh, we've pledged well over uh, $100 million in charitable donations. We're keeping our employees employed, um, as well as uh, you know, implementing new innovative solutions that, that are helping customers uh, be able to respect social distancing uh, as they are getting their covered claims taken care of in this time. And those are good stories, and we're putting out those stories, and it's remarkable to see those uh, even you know, regional news. We did one down outside of uh, Miami, uh, Florida, where they were really promoting the insurance industry. And, you might, and we fed uh, information to Good Morning America just this week. Uh, it had a great story of calculating a customer's uh, relief. Um, however, as we're, we're seeing that, we're also seeing some some unfortunate work by uh, celebrity chefs and celebrity lawyers that are are unfortunately looking to capitalize on on their uh, on the insurance industry for the losses that were simply never underwritten in their insurance policies and and feeding uh, news with misinformation which uh, we have gone into what we call rapid response mode at the III and we make sure that we're monitoring all types and channels of media social traditional uh, all of those types, and anytime we will see a tweet, uh, we see a news story pop, um, the III team is immediately uh, getting on top of that, making outreach, making sure that they have some of the content that we're turning out. I've uh, started to put out a, uh, what's almost a daily uh, email blast uh, to a large uh, group that includes media and broadcast print and, and radio, but also uh, people like yourselves, Chuck, other leaders in our industry trades, our, our board members, our, our member communi communicators, um, so that we can all have the information. And we've seen tremendous industry collaboration throughout this, uh, from the likes of NAMIC and many of the other insurance trade organizations coming together. Uh, we communicate at least weekly uh, figuring out to make sure that we're communicating with a strong voice because this is a strong industry and it's going to do a lot of good, but it needs to be available when, when those other catastrophes are around. So a lot of explaining to do, a uh, lot of staying on top of it, but really um, what you mentioned about Jimmy's story is absolutely right. Uh, amazing uh, opportunity. Jimmy did an amazing job, and, I'm, and I know and I'm sure he prepared uh, very hard for it, but uh, oftentimes when that media comes to us, they have an angle and the story may already be baked. And so 
we're now at the IIII figuring out how do we get ahead of this? How do we go to these stories rather responding, rather in a response mode? So uh, a lot of strategic thinking going into that and a lot of industry collaboration will also need to go into that. But that's how we're going to need to turn the tables and dilute the risk and promote the opportunity more and more. Well, there's, that's a great response. There's a lot to respond to there. First, I just second your comments about the industry collaboration. I think uh, my 17 years in this role, near 17, we have not seen the level of collaboration we're seeing today, and that is across advocacy trades plus I companies. Um, really, everyone knows this is a is a challenge that we all have to face together. I guess my specific question next would be related to this issue of business interruption coverage, and and we know, you know, what the industry rights and we're challenged with the task of communicating uh, often to skeptical and almost always uninformed audiences about uh, business interruption. What is, what's your best um, guidance on how to explain the situation with business interruption to uh, the layperson or the reporter or member of the news media? I think what what first and foremost is is most effective when you're talking about uh, business interruption and insurance in a pandemic is to first explain why a pandemic is extraordinary and it's different from the catastrophes that we would normally cover. Um, and so you have to, and, and oftentimes we find that a comparison is, is the best way, um, helping them understand that you know a, a tragedy like 9-11 was a catastrophe that still only impacted you know, two economies in, in this country, whereas the, this pandemic is impacting every single economy and it's doing it at the same time. And because the, of that just extraordinary nature, uh, it, it, people can better understand that this is, this is something that just doesn't happen often. And because of that, it's unpredictable and it's uninsurable. Um, and if you walk them through those kind of comparative ways, that, that, that is helpful and I think it does make sense to them um, but then you also, uh, what, what happens is you, you then need to understand there's, there's something that uh, we, you and I know well, and there's an industry surplus out there and it's $800 billion and uh, we need to explain what that's there for that, and we need to explain that there are other catastrophes that are happening now. Uh, you know, we've got a very uh, active tornado season occurring right now. We've got a um, estimated above average hurricane season predicted. We were just talking at the IIII as a team that the waters off the coast of Miami are now 87 degrees. So you're seeing incredibly warm water in the Gulf that's actually, you know, those temperatures and that is, is similar to what we saw in 2005, unfortunately. So we as an industry need to explain what this surplus is and why it, it, it matters and why it needs to be there so that we can pay, keep our promises that we're making. But a pandemic is so extraordinary that it's not an insurance issue. And it's a government issue, and we need to make sure that people understand the government has solutions, especially for small businesses. Um, and there are more solutions coming, and, and part of that industry collaboration, Chuck, that you were part of, um, that, that had 35 trade organizations, virtually every single one from the insurance industry, as well as many of the policyholder communities, sending a letter saying this is a recovery fund type of issue. This is what we have to talk about. And so. This isn't an insurance issue. This is when government needs to step in, and, and they are stepping in, and we need to make clear that those solutions are happening and there are more to come. Oh, that's exactly right. You mentioned the, uh, the letter from both the insurance and the policyholder groups, and that, and that group has 
I think doubled since that letter went out in terms of those that uh, are interested in, and that support, um, you know, some additional uh, special type of, of government assistance to get through these unprecedented times. You're also right that this is not, you know, an insurance issue for all but a very slim uh, number of, of policies that would uh, presume to cover viral or pandemic uh, risk as we're experiencing here today. And I think you're correct that looking at the uh, surplus, in a way, it's obviously a blessing that we have that money. Our industry is hundreds of years old, and it's uh, properly conservative when it comes to being able to keep promises around payment of future claims, um, claims that we don't know the exact cost of. Uh, but you can slice it up into all those various lines of business and active Atlantic hurricane season. We're just talking about property, other liability coverages that companies do write and that they're protecting uh, business from are active, but not this specific issue that uh, that's so much being discussed today. So I think you're on the right track in terms of uh, explaining it. We just know it is a, it's a challenge to you know, try to explain uh, the workings in the industry and educate a reporter uh, on that, particularly when they may already have, and they often already have, a different narrative that they're trying to support or a different narrative they've already written or prepared to broadcast and they're just looking for you know the obligatory other view uh, from our industry let's talk a little bit about uh, what what our uh, industry is doing beyond um, you know the, the claims handling and you know I think it's often forgotten by those that are commenting or covering our industry that you know, we're also operating in a crisis. We're talking with member companies every day that are you know, having extraordinary times in terms of 100% uh, remote work and testing systems and trying to coordinate their company operations and respond to claims uh, in a timely manner, um, you know, in this environment. So you want to talk a little bit about how you've been, uh, you know, monitoring what our industry has done that perhaps goes above and beyond the uh, insurance promise that we've made. Well, I, I think one of the priorities that we've we've had at, at the III, and I know um, has been is supported by, by Dynamic and, and will be a part of a coalition that we're building. Um, and this is important, more important now, sometimes even more than ever, um, as we need to still in the wake, not in the wake, as we are actively engaged in some in this catastrophe that is COVID-19, how do we also take a step back and realize and prepare ourselves for other catastrophes that this industry manages and manages well? Um, and what we're seeing in our industry is this promising uh, look towards resilience and an and industry shifting itself from being detecting and repairing after catastrophes to pre prevent, predicting and preventing them. And, and resilience is coming a long way, and the industry is engaged in it, and we're, we are working on our, what we call our resilience project, uh, where last year we had just a proof of concept and began building out some data visualization ways to do things where uh, we've now actually created a hub, a web-based hub that uh, we, will, we will be launching with a coalition in the next few weeks, and uh, the Build Strong Coalition that, that NAMIC uh, has, has supported and, and founded in, lot, in large part uh, will be part of that and part of the advocacy part uh, portion of this. But how do we actionably create behavioral change in our customers to better manage their risk? And, 
And that's going to do a lot of good for the customer. It's going to do a lot of good for the industry because I think we're going to begin to bridge this, what I call a customer gap, um, where the insurance industry tends to touch the customer maybe once or twice a year on average. And as we now are beginning to feed the customer with more information about how to be more resilient and manage their risk, it creates a different dynamic and a different relationship that, that creates also a win-win environment for the industry and the customer. And I think that we need to stay focused on that. Uh, we need to make sure we take a step back and, and, and help our customers understand that they still need to pay attention to managing risk, even more so now as we see our first responders are, are still distracted and have to be distracted with, with what is this, this pandemic. They're going to be have that same distraction when these other catastrophes are happening, and then we've all and we've got to figure out how to make sure that it, it, there's more insurance in the communities. We, as part of the the risk analytics work that we are doing with our resilience project, our our economists have have done risk analytics, taken FEMA uh, information with other variables, used artificial intelligence to kind of do whatever they do with it and been able to to show through data that a community that has more insurance, literally gets the lights on faster after catastrophe. So something we intuitively know, but we're going to prove it with risk analytics and data so that we so that it doesn't seem as self-serving. And this is this is still an important priority for this industry and something we're we're staying focused on and, and trying to make sure that the customers understand now more than ever, you've got to manage the other risks that are happening in your life. Well that is a great message to end on. Sean, uh, let me get back to uh, the front lines. I will join you there along with our team and uh, the rest of the advocates around the industry. And um, so thanks for the time today. Thanks for a little insight on, on what's happening, particularly on the media relations, public affairs side, long-term on the resilience piece that, that we also work together on. So appreciate the time to get today and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thanks, Chuck. Always appreciate your leadership and the collaborative nature that, that NAMIC brings. Um, just a great community that you all are in the mutual space and uh, really uh, just always uh, an honor to work with you and speak with you. So thank you. Thank you. And that's a wrap for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We hope you enjoyed the program and we'll be back on May 13th with more insurance news and interviews. If you have a topic or an issue you'd like us to uncover, don't hesitate to let us know. As always, you can send us an email at uncovered at Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Stay safe, stay home, and remember to look out for one another.